0: Well, shalom. <clears throat> Some of you are going, huh? Huh? For the past uh, couple of weeks, several of us, a small group of us from uh, Southwoods and a few friends from other places have been uh, in the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've been in the places where you know, David fought Goliath, places where Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. We were in all these kind of places. We walked in the footsteps of of Jesus and the ancient biblical prophets and apostles within Israel and had a wonderful experience as you can imagine it's an amazing thing to see firsthand the place where one of the seven wonders of the ancient world existed to see Sol- the, the Temple Mount which is what you see right there and this is a, a, a sort of a, an unstylized view of it what it looks like uh, of course the uh, Dome of the Rock is there at this point but where it sits is exactly where Solomon's Temple uh, sat in ancient times a um, place of worship for people to come and honor the God of, of the heavens and the earth. Uh, we, we're privileged to be able to walk where Jesus healed the, the blind, the lame, the deaf, where he raised the dead. This is the next picture, Capernaum, sort of the, the ministry hub of Jesus in the course uh, during the course of the main portion of his ministry. And it was in this very region right here, this very, you can't get a very good picture of it with uh, or at least I can't, somebody else probably could, but I couldn't get a very good picture. But this is a place where in Mark 2, Jesus is teaching one day, and they start digging through the roof. Do you remember that, that, uh, that incident? And they literally dig through the roof and drop a paralyzed man down. It's, it was at Peter's home, mother-in-law's home. And it's a fascinating place to be. You, you are moved to be there. We have the privilege of uh, being at the place where Jesus walked on earth and on water. Uh, The Sea of Galilee itself, we took a little boat ride while we were there, and uh, you can't help but be moved as you just ride out on the waters uh, of the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful place, beautiful, uh, beautiful terrain. If you just look there, we're looking a little to the west, in that particular photo almost looks like uh, Wyoming, doesn't it? I mean, just that kind of uh, topography, really. We walked where Jesus was betrayed and where he was crucified, where he was resurrected, and we Spent some time in the Garden of Gethsemane, of course, at the Garden Tomb and various other places. But it was amazing to walk in some of the footsteps, physically speaking, of where Jesus, where Jesus walked. And biblical prophecy tells us that the climax of human history is going to take place in this very region in Israel. Go back and read Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14, those chapters if you've not read them in a while. Uh, read Ezekiel chapter 37, 38, and 39. Uh, read the book of Revelation it's uh, it's the epicenter of the world and all things coming and in fact you could there are many who would make an argument that the Garden of Eden was in fact really where the Temple Mount is that's part of why it's such contested property as it is Um, we will never know because we were not there but uh, you can make a case for that kind of thing since uh, many of us probably won't have the opportunity to go there I felt like it would be valuable for us to, I just asked a few of our group to share a little bit, uh, a few insights, of what they've learned about God by virtue of their experience of walking physically and some of the footsteps of Jesus and some of the footsteps of the apostles and prophets and so forth. I've asked a few to share and uh, so in a few moments we're going to have uh, some guests to share a little bit. Uh, Teresa Perrin's going to share a little bit from her perspective on some insights that she's gained from the experience. Uh, Ben Florence is going to share a little bit. Dave Simmons, who's been uh, on two trips that we've done as well as a couple of his own. And each of them share a little bit about what they've learned about God by virtue of being uh, in that place. And my hope is that each of us will be able to listen, um, maybe vicariously experience a little bit of what uh, they uh, have experienced. Uh, Maybe some of us... You know that's a trip that we should do someday together, Um, but certainly, you know, my longing is that you'll listen carefully because what God, the fascinating thing is that God does all these things in the physical that you read about in Scripture and so forth. But His His ultimate longing is is not just that those things happen in history, but He wants changes in us in the Spirit. And I think you'll make some of those connections as they share. And my hope is that. It'll edify your soul this day and help you to uh, to walk more closely with Him. So, uh, without any further ado, Teresa, come on up. And as soon as Teresa is done, uh, Ben Florence will will come right on up. As soon as Ben is done, Dave will come right up. And as soon as Ben's done or Dave's done, I'll come back and say a few words of my own. All right, Teresa. Thanks. Thank you. Good morning.
1: So I learned so much about God in answering Greg's question. Um, When walking in the footsteps of Jesus and the other apostles and prophets Seriously, I don't know where to start in the 55 minutes that Greg gave me (laughs) It was fifty five okay five minutes that Greg gave me So I determined that I would use the five minutes to share the five things that this experience revealed to me that matters to him And if they matter to him, they should matter to us First off legacy matters to him What he builds lasts and what he wants us to build will last too. A great example to me was that the cornerstone of the Temple Mount from 2,000 plus years ago still stands. and we walk there, it was and still is a firm foundation, just as Christ is a cornerstone and foundation for us to trust every day of our lives on. I saw many people there and see many people here wandering around, stumbling over that foundation and through life as they disobey the messages and miss out on really seeing him. Building our life on that cornerstone and foundation and sharing with others and pointing them to that firm foundation is the legacy that matters. Details also matter to him. Yes, every little dot and every little tittle as our um, leader taught us matter. The smallest letter in the Bible matters. If it's in there, it's critical. We had entire teachings over just mere words that we've almost likely just passed over. If it is in there, it matters. Words like gather, not battle, at El Megiddo, to us known as Armageddon, that matters. Even details such as tiny little one inch by one inch tiles that were the flooring of the homes of the Levites, homes are still there and still intact. And that being intact gives us revealing insights into the details that matter to God. The very precise measurements of the temple um, tell a message. The detailed descriptions of the locations where Jesus taught gives us a view into the parables that we would not understand otherwise. Details, the very little things matter to him, and they should matter to us. The third thing is that roots matter to him. Our Jewish roots and heritage matter greatly. Understanding the culture at that time, the depths of his words with the original language translation and the Hebraic perspective unveils a much deeper and robust meaning. If roots didn't matter, then our very salvation, the very grafting in from us Gentiles, or the very grafting in of us Gentiles would be lost. If we don't try to understand and honor our roots, we will miss so very much. Israel is our ultimate homeland. It was where Jesus was born, where he died. It was the location of the resurrection and will be where he comes again. Therefore, understanding our roots, our loyalty, and our responsibility to Israel matters. Connections also matter to him. From the first man to the last man, we are connected and it matters. From the Jew to the Gentile, we're connected. That matters. From sinners to saints, We're connected from Moses to Mary. We're connected. He uses everything, and he connects everything. From nature, to the history we learned, to the political landscape, to wars, to friendships, to earthquakes, to foes, he connects everything, and every one of these connections matters. The last thing is that digging and searching matters. Just as the archeologists continue to dig, and find many of the structures that we were able to walk around and through and under, and also the artifacts from so much of the Bible that we were able to see. Just as they continue to dig for those things, we also should dig and search the Bible, dig and search our hearts, dig and search our motives. This digging then reveals, this digging gives proof, this digging refines, and this digging convicts. So from walking in the footsteps, I learned that these five things matter to God legacy, detail, roots, connections, and digging or searching. So I hope you will consider making them matter to you as well as you dig through the Bible. And if I can be any instrument in any small way in helping that happen with you, then God be the glory.
2: Good morning. I'm Ben Florence, retired. When I retired about six and a half years ago from public service, I told my city council, this is great. I'll never have to speak publicly again. Uh, Not. What was I thinking? Um, Being retired, it gives me more opportunity to travel. So when this trip came up, uh, Greg mentioned he was going to get it together. I told him right away I wanted to go. Um, I was hoping that Susie, my wife, could go with me, but she wasn't able to. Uh, Maybe she can in the future, though. And I hope that some of you can as well in the future. Um, What struck me when we got there, now, I went uh, on a trip to Israel in the early 70s. That was more of an archaeological trip as opposed to a biblical trip. And this trip, showed me so many more things that I didn't get to see the first time I was there. And uh, the difference was that uh, my 20-something body made it a lot easier than my 60-something body on this. And I think I was one of those guys that Teresa mentioned was stumbling around. Um, Every time I'd find a nice soft rock to sit on, we were up and off again. But that way we were able to see what we wanted to see. Uh, The Israelis, the Jews that live there, they're wonderful people. Uh, I think we do share a kinship with them uh, and that we, the United States, protect them. Um, I felt a a kinship that will probably always be with me. Um, I went up, uh, we did, as a group uh, to the Dome of the Rock. You saw it a few minutes ago. And uh, I was taking it all in. I'd been there before. I'd been inside before. They wouldn't let us in since uh, one of the previous wars. Uh, They've closed that off, or an agreement anyway. Uh, this Palestinian security man came over and he said, you can't pray here. We were all together talking. We weren't praying. We were listening to Rami, our guide, and and he said, you can't pray here. I probably wouldn't have prayed there if he hadn't come up and said that. So I said a prayer. I said, yeah, I'm going to pray here. I'll pray wherever I want. You can't stop me. God hears our prayers. Um, But we enjoyed just being able to see all that history that uh, a lot of us have heard when we were little in Sunday school, the walls of Jericho, I can. we were on top of Jericho, I could see uh, the, the Israeli, Israel, Israelites going around the multiple times until uh, the next day they did it and it collapsed. And I don't think they've touched it since other than to dig up uh, some of the ruins. I have a, a verse here in that we've uh, feel a kinship with the uh, with Israel and the Jews, it's Ephesians um, 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, and oh, thanks, I didn't bring my glasses, uh, through the uh, gospel. Um, there's a, a verse I've heard over the years, and I think about the United States and other countries who actually protect Israel, and it's early in the Bible. It's Genesis 12:3. I will bless these, bless those who, who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. I believe that. Um, I believe that uh, Israel is on a hyper alert. We saw soldiers everywhere, uh, young men and young women both. And uh, I think we should be on hyper alert as well uh, for the return of Jesus, because he is coming back. And as my friend Rami said, and as I heard in uh, in Sunday school when I was little, it's because the Bible tells me so. Um, my friend Dave's coming up. He's been to Israel five times. He'll probably speak 30 or 40 minutes. So enjoy, Dave. <laughs> Shalom.
3: Yeah, I will confess that. Uh, My kids call me Mr. Too Much Information. (laughs) And Greg said five minutes. Uh, There's a story about a man, uh, an old joke about a man who takes forever to make his pointless. (laughs) I hope I can get fairly quickly through this, and I'll stay with script here (laughs) to make a good point. It always amazes me when I receive a revelation moment on these trips, and they happen often. Trips that are things that are not even on my radar. It's like one of those times uh, when the Spirit of God puts two and two together for you, and the total is four to the multiplied power. This is one of the times that especially blessed me on this trip. When we went to Caesarea Philippi, the Lord gave me a bit of an epiphany as I was reading a sign at the Temple of Pan. Now, as I read the details of that uh, false god worship, some thoughts occurred to me. Like many times in the past visits, it seems like a light bulb will go on and then the details fill out later after we get home. For time's sake, let me give you some bullet points and I'll end up, uh, I'll put this all together. After Herod the Great died, when Christ was just an infant probably, uh, his son Philip inherited a quarter of his kingdom up in the Golan Heights. In that area, Caesarea Philippi was a city that was built by his father Herod. And there after Philip inherited it, he renamed it in the honor, or he renamed it to honor God the King of his in his eyes. Caesar of Rome, a very false god. It was built near a river that springs out from under a cave at the base of an enormous rock cliff. It was a solid rock cliff that's so enormous that it would have dwarfed the huge Roman temple that was built at its base. In a place, a hideous, in that place, a hideous god named Pan was worshiped. Now, Pan is the flute-playing, half-man, half-goat, false god of shepherds. We get the word panic from legends of people's fear in the night from the sounds of Pan. The temple was built in front of the cave mouth where the sacrifices were made by Pan, a sign that uh, at the site essentially said that each year they sacrificed an innocent human to God pan to ensure increase for a good life and for the people and their crops and livestock for the following year. The victim was taken to the temple cave and thrown into a pit at the back of the cave. <laughs> Excuse me. If the sacrifice didn't come out of the pit, that meant that the sacrifice was accepted in their eyes and that abundant life would be the promise for the next uh, Coming, growing season, and harvest. If, however, blood showed up in the water in the river that flowed from under the temple, the sacrifice was rejected. Now I know that Jesus grew up in that area, not far from there, and he and all of his disciples must have known all these things. As Yeshua, Jesus, talked to his disciples one day in that area, he used culture, geography and false religion of that place to predict in a great detail his sacrifice for our salvation in advance. I expect that those things were exactly what Matthew was referring to and had in mind when he recorded Matthew 16. And uh, Starting with verse 13, he says, Where Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Then he asked his disciples who people were saying he was, and then he said, who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Christ's kingdom was not built on a rock cliff with a pit to the gates of hell at its base. But it was the true rock of his church. But the true rock of his church was the foundational fact that Christ is the true son of our living God. And I realized at that moment standing in front of the sign by the grotto of Pan how amazing our God is. Christ was actually tipping his hand on the plan, on his plan to storm the gates of hell with his cross. He was showing his role as a new and better sacrifice even for the pagans. In a few short words, he was telling his exact opposition and power over satanic false worship. You see, God, their God, who was a manifestation of Satan, was an evil shepherd God. Our God is the good shepherd. Pan was half goat and half man. Christ, the lamb of God, was all God and all man. Their God keeps the gates of hell. Our God gives keys to the kingdom of heaven. Their God had to have a a sacrifice die for him each time. Christ died for us and gave himself as a sacrifice, once for all, that we could have eternal life. Pan's sacrifices had to die. Christ sacrificed himself and yet lived. Pan's victim went into a cave alive and then died. Christ went into a cave dead and rose alive. If Pan's victim came out of the pit, the sacrifice was rejected. Christ rose out of his grave to prove that his sacrifice for us was accepted. Blood and water flowing out of the temple of Pan showed rejection. The water and blood flowing out of Christ on the cross, who was the very temple of the true and living God, gave us eternal acceptance. Now I'm sure that there's a lot more parallel opposites to these things. See, I lost my place. Okay, maybe in the days ahead, the Father will even show me more. But regardless, it is an awesome God that we have, that has from before the foundation of earth aligned things, aligned things, and people to convey such messages of His power and love through everything He is creating. Like the Bible says, all creation declares the glory of God. Even his enemies. And all I could say to myself while standing there and thinking about these things that day was, "Wow, our dad sure is smart."
0: That was really good. That was all of that. So thank you, thank you for what shared. Dave said, you know, every time you go, there's certain insights that you gain that uh, you couldn't have predicted or anticipated, sort of God moments. Um, what I learned about God from this particular trip to Israel was different than uh, anything the previous ones. And uh, what I saw this time is that God is not just a God of what he's done in the past, which, of course, uh, we can be all fascinated with that and it ought to be justified in that. But God is actively at work right now drawing people to himself in Israel. Uh, this, this was crystal clear to me this time in a way that was uh, fresh and new. Our uh, congregation supports a ministry there, we have ministry partner Living Israel Congregation. How many of you have heard of Living Israel? We talk about it randomly, but how many of you know that we support? We support a congregation Israel, if you're you're not sure of that or unclear about that, as a congregation Uh, basically ten percent of the money we set aside that we take in as a church Uh, we try to allocate almost 10% goes towards missions kinds of things and a tenth of that goes to Living Israel so it's kinda like they're a tenth of that amount. Do you track with me? It's basically 1% of our of our income as our congregation comes in and so that fluctuates based on you know our our, our weekly or monthly income and so forth. But that's what we do. Uh, We started that in 2010 and felt led to do that uh, as we made some adjustments back in those days, Uh, just felt Several things were going on. We felt like uh, Jesus was a Jew. We're in agreement on that, right? Remember that, he was a Jew. Uh, of course, uh, the apostles, all of them were Jews. You knew that, right? Okay. Uh, every book of the Bible was written by a Jew. Did you know that? Every single book of the Bible was written by a Jew. The entire early church, for the longest time, was Jews. Would it surprise you that the evil one would hate Jews? Does that surprise you? I mean, just think about it. I mean, just do the mental math here with me. Why, why would he, to this day, hate synagogues and prompt people to do horrific things at synagogues and at the Jewish Community Center a few years ago in this world? He hates Jews. The scripture speaks of them as, uh, God speaks of them as his firstborn child, if we had time to walk through the entirety of the Old Old Testament. Many of you have children. What happens to the firstborn child? A lot of times they're, you know, they they really get the discipline, and if you're a smart younger child, you learn (laughs) from the older one, right? You look at the older one and you go, okay, I better not do that because dad doesn't like that. Mom didn't like that. And, and, or uh, this is what they're looking for, right? This is, this is the way it works. I mean, this is, this is the, the mindset of our brilliant God. And so Israel is his firstborn child, and he teaches all the rest of the nations of the earth and the peoples of the earth what he likes and doesn't like through them in hopes that uh, you know, the rest of us will get it. And so he compensates the firstborn with a double portion of blessing, is how the picture of scripture is. But the consequence is you kind of get a rough time sometimes because you're, you're not just son, but you're also teacher of the younger children. Anyway, all of that more than was in my notes to share. In fact, none of it was in my notes. But anyway, <laughs> I should follow Dave's example and just read. Um, the, bo- the gospel began with the Jews. But if you remember what happened in the early church, God called the Apostle Paul and others at that time to take the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And all of the rest of us have been blessed and benefited from that ever since. If we had time, we could walk our way through Romans 11. I've done this in Wednesday night teaching at Refuge and various other things with many of you. But Romans 11 makes it clear that the gospel started with the Jews, it came to the Gentiles, and in the end of days, it will come back to the Jews. It doesn't mean that it will leave the Gentiles. It means that, that the hardness of heart that contributed to the gospel coming to the Gentiles from the Jews will, will lift and they will discover who their Messiah is. And that, in fact, he's been right before them all along and they've just missed it. 2010, uh, we we just came to the place kind of where we realized this in fresh ways and felt like we needed to invest in that as a congregation, and so part of our part of our missions outreach resources needed to be, uh, in, channeled into uh, helping people, in Israel come to faith in Yeshua and Jesus, to discover who their Messiah was, and so we've been doing that, investing there ever since 2010. Um, Part of what happened back in 2010 was I, uh, I met this gentleman, this is Gleb, and his wife on the far left is Marina. Gleb and Marina Sembersky, and that's me and Lori in between. Uh, after the group left uh, a week ago and came on back, the, the 30 people who were in our group, Lori and I stayed for a few extra days to connect with our ministry partners, what we wanted to do. We wanted to, to see them firsthand, just to witness some of what God was doing among them, and uh, to see, you know, you know. you. You believe that we know that God's doing good work, but you know it's—it's it's like I trust, but you verify, right? It's the way this all works. So we're—we're we're just seeing and connecting relationally because we haven't seen them since uh, 2010, 2011. A lot can happen in that time frame, right? Uh, so we're just—just just connecting with them. We stayed with them. We're blessed. But Glebin and Marina moved to Israel in 1995, which was before we began investing before we knew them, they started the congregation living in Israel, they would moved from the former Soviet Union to Israel, their their Jews immigrated there, believers in uh, Messiah Jesus. From 1995 to 2005, so that's a decade, right? 1995 to 2005, uh, this couple along with a few other people that that they started their first congregation with, they had started not just one church but four congregations within that time frame. Their, their vision, the vision God gave them, was congregations of 50 to 250 max uh, attendance wise at that stage. Felt like just multiply them, just keep them growing. And, and you know, when you kind of get toward the upper side of that 200, 250, you're working toward establishing a new one. And you just spread these all over the country. This was the vision that God had given them uh, for the establishment of their congregation, Living Israel. From 1995 to 2005, they had started four churches. From 2005 to 2015, which we engaged with them at the halfway point of that, 2010, but during that decade, 2005 to 2015, they started 16 more congregations during that decade. 2015 to 2018, so I mean we're three years into this next decade for them, so far in three years they've established 10 more congregations to the point where now Living Israel has 30 congregations they have 46 pastors on their uh, leadership team. They're in eight countries, not just in Israel, but other places as well. All of their congregations have somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 250 people in them. They are now the largest church in Israel of any stripe. You know, you've know, got the Catholic church, but that's a whole different animal there. I mean, it's, it's not evangelical-oriented Catholic church like we have here. I mean, it's totally different there. They are now the largest church in Israel by a factor of two. I mean, they're more than twice larger than the, the closest congregation. Uh, they have um, doubled, more than doubled the number of congregations uh, that are part of their fellowship uh, since the time when we began to invest and partner with them. I wish I could claim credit for that. Somehow we can't. I mean, we really can. I mean, what we give is an infinitesimal amount compared to what it takes to operate all of this. But during this period of time, as these congregations have been flourishing and leadership has been developing and so forth, uh, they've got amazing rehab uh, ministries for addicts. I mean, people who are uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol, I mean, methamphetamine and and, uh, heroin and and all kinds of new drugs that are salt-based kinds of things that I, I don't even fully understand. And, and But you can walk the streets in, in Tel Aviv and you just see where these people are just laying in the street. And so many of the pastors and leadership of this congregation used to lay in those very streets. And uh, as they did their street ministry, they came out and joined rehab programs, uh, went from that to to uh, become a part of their school of discipleship which is a one year long uh, ministry training program that they operate at this point. Now they've had over 600 graduates of their discipleship training program. Uh, Most of their leadership uh, for their ministry were formerly people in the streets that God has uh, redeemed and restored and now is uh, rescuing others through their efforts. Uh, their seven-year vision at this point is, uh, they, it's a long story, but they feel like, uh, I mean, God made it really clear. You, you go back to the Old Testament, and Joseph had a had a dream of seven years of feast, feasting and, and generosity and blessing that was going to come, and they needed to, to gather during those, those seven years, and that was going to be followed by seven years of famine. And uh, it's a very long story, but they feel like this is, that that seven years of feasting kind of thing is really what's before them it began with this year and so their their, their dream and their vision is 70 new churches and, and for God to raise up 70 new churches and 70 pastors in the next seven years so this is what they're working toward praying for uh, this is the kind of thing that our dollars when we we support they're going toward that kind of thing Lori and I met a, a number of their leaders while we were there we had Privilege of, uh, of being in a couple of their congregations with three of their different fellowships. One in the Tanya at the top, upper left and the bottom one in uh, um, Roshan, Lission, I believe is where the, the bottom one is. The top one's got a bunch of the kids. The bottom right one uh, picture there is uh, 14, just a total of 14 people. I think a couple of people got cut off in the picture but uh, the day that we were there uh, they had had a baptism service that morning at the Jordan River you know we have a baptistry over here they go to the Jordan River you know that's, that's pretty cool but uh, they had 14 people baptized that morning uh, from this just this fellowship and uh, had the privilege of meeting them and uh, speaking and encouraging them a little bit uh, we had opportunity while we were there to uh, to speak at these two congregations look at this next picture um, bo- both places, uh, speaking through translators, which I don't know if you've ever done that or not before. That's it's an interesting experience, and I've done it a few times and still never quite get used to it. But uh, had opportunity to preach at both of those places, as well as Lori and I with some of their teams, kind of walk the streets of Tel Aviv just to see the nature of the ministry that they do there. And here we are, just kind of praying for a, literally uh, a guy who's literally couldn't get up. He's so strung out on drugs and his finger, right finger is swollen about the size of three of his fingers, if you put them three together just, and you know he's just, it's, you can see the infection just spreading up in his hand. He's been to the doc, been to the hospital already at some point, uh, prior to he told us, but he's being told that, uh, you know, to wait another day. And you're just looking at that and thinking, is he being sent away? Because in another day it's gonna kill him. You know, this is what, what goes through your head as you're looking at this. Um, but there are people just like this guy laying on the street who say to them as they witness to him and share, yeah, I do want to change my life. I do want to turn to Christ. I do want help. And uh, they have homes uh, that they can bring these addicts into and rehab them and eventually they come to Christ. I mean, part of being there is you, you, you have worship times and prayer times and, you know, you study the Bible and there's a part, of, there's all of that as well as they equip them to get jobs and all, it's, it is the most holistic thing that I've seen in my life and uh, proving to be uh, pretty amazing, the impact of it. Uh, now, I could say a lot more about that, as you can imagine, but uh, why, why invest in that. Why would we do that? Because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to set the oppressed free, to rescue those who are are blind, to to bring healing to their eyes. He came to rescue uh, people who don't know him. He came for the sick, not just the healthy. Um, Jesus, who was a Jew, longs for his own people to know him. It's part of the prophetic circle of things that's coming around and um, when I ask them at this point uh, we're the only congregation that supports them from the outside I mean there's nobody else Uh, this growing thing I, I don't think that means anything other than we have a really privileged position to be in relationship with them and my encouragement to you is to pray 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 for them because as they continue to establish congregations throughout the land, um, there are people coming to know Jesus right and left. Uh, You know, you you look at these places and you think, oh, nobody nobody will will listen in Israel. Oh no, because they themselves are Israelis and because they're followers of Jesus, uh, they have open doors that you and I would not have in that context, we need to pray for them. I can give you more detail on where to pray and how to pray and so forth on another occasion. But my, my hope is that you'll make that a matter of ongoing, regular prayer. Uh, we praise God for what He's doing through living Israel. You can go to Egypt. You can you can visit all the you can visit the pyramids. You can visit the sphinxes. You can visit all the stuff. They're tombs because everything there. It's like the history is dead history in Israel is alive because we serve a living resurrected Lord and he's still at work and we're privileged to be partners with it. Uh, You can pick up a little more information about Living Israel over on our information table. We have a lot of our ministry partners. We have stuff over there about them. You can grab one that's Living Israel. Uh, Their website is having some work done on it right now and so it's a little messed up But uh, livingisrael.com. Uh, Living-Israel.com, Living-Israel.net. I mean, they are. I mean, they're on the cutting edge of a whole lot of stuff, and um, just keep them in the prayer, in your prayers. Um, as I wrap up, let me say this: You know, Jesus didn't come, uh, take upon himself flesh, and come to our world so that we could walk in his physical footsteps. That was not why he did it. He came so we could learn to walk in his footsteps spiritually. He came to rescue us from sin, from evil, from the corruption of this world. He came, to do, came so that we could choose to humble ourselves before him and become loving, grace-filled, joy-filled, a hope-filled, merciful, selfless people like he is and was and always will be. And I guess my question for you as we wrap up this morning is, have you put your faith in the real Jesus yet? He's very much alive. He's at work there. He's at work here. He's at work in the heart and life of every person who will look heavenward and with hope ask, with faith ask, Lord Jesus, work in my life. I need you. And if you'll look heavenward this morning, I can promise you, he will meet you where you are and in his mercy. He will draw you toward himself. But you got to ask. Because his nature is not to force himself on you. The day is coming when every knee will bow forcibly. Scripture is really clear. But right now is still the day where you and I have the privilege in humility to bend our knee willingly. You haven't done that, will you? Will you do it this morning? Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Glad that you made it. Thanks to each of you who shared this morning. Uh, feel free to ask them uh, any questions. Also, we had several others who uh, were on the trip. If you're with us this morning and you are on the trip, uh, just raise your hand real high, just so everybody can see. So just kind of look around. Feel free to grab one of them. We've got several. I know are out of town this weekend, but several who are here. So just want to chat a little bit about some of their experiences. Grab them and. Uh, And maybe one of these days God will uh, make it possible for you to be on a trip with us too. Let's pray. And then we'll be dismissed. If you have prayer need of any kind afterwards, come on down. We'll pray for you. Father, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your favor. And as we pray now and wrap up this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be living Israel, each of us. To be your living representatives wherever we go. Help us to be witnesses for you. Uh, to be light in dark places, to be encouragers where discouragement uh, may prevail. Help us to uh, to communicate hope and opportunity to assure people that your promises uh, matter and that you are a keeper of promises. Would you guide our steps this week, Lord? Uh, we promise to give you credit for everything good that happens, and we thank you. I thank you for the privilege of being reminded of who you are this morning through the testimonies, through living Israel's work, and through your word. Go with us now, Lord, as we leave this place. Lift this prayer in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.